Kind of robotic. Say San Diego. That's very uh, good morning. Anchorman. You're close enough. Yeah. Good morning, San Diego. But good morning, Phantoms. Hello. This is Two Girls, One Ghost. Two Girls, One Ghost. And oh, wait, that's not my part. That's your part. Oh, yeah. Hi. Uh, and we are your ghostesses. That's Corinne. I'm Sabrina. That's probably Leia. If you hear her, I don't know if the microphone picks it up, but it is 6.30 a.m. in Los Angeles on a Saturday, and Leia is angry to be awake. Oh, yeah, she is, as always. What time does she naturally get up? Uh, whenever I get up. Mm. Although she is spoiled. She just got her canned food earlier than she usually does. Lucky her. Lucky her. I had pizza for breakfast today. That is the best I'm so jealous. It was, I treated myself. There's a, you probably did this as a fundraiser as a kid. I think it was a mid Atlantic sort of thing because I had never heard of it. But Brian, growing up in New Jersey, close to where you grew up, said he did it as a kid. But there's a fundraiser where you sell cookie dough and pizza kits. I never sold pizza kits. Did you do that? We sold cookie dough. Oh. And candy bars and wrapping paper. Okay. I did the wrapping paper. I did the Innisbrook wrapping paper. That that's the only thing I remember doing. But basically, we bought this pizza kit from one of his friends who has a child who's selling the pizza kits, and they were so wow. good. No, it yeah. was gluten free pizza. We were like, "This is the best gluten free pizza kit we've ever had." Wow, because we buy plenty from the grocery store now and now and again. It was delicious. So I saved half of mine so I could also have it cold morning. Hey, stop being crazy! Whoa, what's happening? Chaos. So. I don't understand how that happened, but it's raining in Boston. It was supposed to be like eight inches of snow, but it turned out to just be rain. But literally just now, like it it honestly looked like snowballs, like sheets of ice this big, like the size of a big ass hamburger. Just a bunch of them started swirling around me hundreds of feet up in the air. I wonder if they fell off your roof or something. Probably. Do you hear this? And they got caught up in a little gust and I had like a little swirling tornado right here. You're in an ice tornado, no. Leia. I'm in a, I don't know, a cat tornado. There's, it's a natural disaster from a cat. Oh my gosh. Sabrina, I have, I don't even know what we were talking about before. Tornadoes. I got, I got off track. Anyway, pizza's good <laughs> and it's cold outside and we're matching. We're matching. In our <laughs> sweatshirts. Yeah. When I was scrolling on TikTok the other day, I scrolled past a post that was created by this Might Get Weird pod, and it was all about basically the history of chiropractic care, and I thought you would find this super interesting because you've been doing so much work. So I'm just going to read this parts of these straight off the internet, but there were a few people in history that worked on spinal alignment and figuring out the process that we now know as chiropractic care. But one such person was D.D. Palmer, who was from Davenport, Iowa. And basically what happened was in 1895, there was a janitor who Palmer walked by and just started kind of like chatting with this janitor. And the janitor was saying he had a ton of pain and he remembers lifting a heavy object and hearing this pop in his back. Mm -hmm. And he basically hadn't been able to hear ever since. So that was basically like what what they were communicating about. Okay. So Palmer then checked out this guy's back and noticed that there was a bulge, like a vertebra that was sticking out of alignment. And he kind of like shoved it into his back and then the janitor's hearing returned. 
So that's when he started being like, oh, this is so interesting, like the compression of nerves, like studying all of this stuff and and yada, yada, yada. Was Didi Palmer a doctor before this? That is a great question. I I don't know the answer to that. But I want to tell you how he ended up truly pursuing chiropractic care because this is where it where it gets really cool and where it aligns to you and I. Actually, let me correct myself. He definitely was not licensed at all. And in fact, he went to jail for practicing medicine unlicensed. I was going to say, I feel like <laughs> just seeing a bulge in someone's body and po- like pushing it in in could be, um, could have gone a completely different him. way. Right? Now he's deaf and paralyzed. That's totally right. what could have, he, he could have killed him. Yeah, but he was doing that for many years. And then- in the early 1900s, he was arrested. But what's super interesting is that D.D. Palmer said that he learned the basic principles of chiropractic treatment when he was doing a seance and had communicated with a long dead doctor who's Dr. Jim Atkinson. Here's a quote from D.D. He said, the knowledge and philosophy given to me by Dr. Jim Atkinson, an intelligent spiritual being, appealed to my reason. But basically, yeah. So he was it was a visitation. In the seance, and it reminds me so much of AA meetings. Remember, I, we covered that whole yeah. basically like how Friends of Bill became a thing. And it was all communicated through a seance and through meditation and through mediumship. And chiropractic care came to us the exact same way. Dee Dee Palmer was participating in a seance and learned all about chiropractic care and spinal alignment and weird other things, magnetic healing, all these super interesting things. And then he started practicing it without a license, but he was like, I don't need a license. The spirits gave me permission. Well, it reminds me of Joe, who I go to every week because he was visited in a dream and told of this practice and like how to do it. And he was like, I don't understand it. And he was, he kept asking, he's like, can you tell me more? Like, what am I supposed to be doing? Why, why am I pushing on pressure points in the body? Like, what is this? What is the point? And he was visited in the dream, in his dreams and continuously told and guided. Isn't that so wild? Yeah. It's incredible. But yeah, I thought that was super applicable to what you were going through. That's very (laughs) applicable. Thank you for sharing. Also, can you give everybody Joe's where he works again? Yes. Because a few people have asked where it is. And I know you say it every time, but like, let's make this a punctuated moment so people grab out your notes and your phone and and scribble this down. Okay. It's called Next Level Holistic Therapy. It's in Santa Monica, California. If you have ClassPass, this treatment is not on ClassPass, but they have... the, they occasionally have massage massages on the class pass or they also have like a ice bath hot like sauna room that you can mm. use. So, yes, they're great. Total pivot here. Have you watched the Murdaugh family documentary, Murdaugh Murders? No, I have not. And, you know, a lot of people are so sucked into that case because the father was just, just now convicted, found guilty. Yeah. But but so many people have been sucked into the case. And I'll say, for some reason, this case didn't intrigue me because without a doubt, I was like, he did it. So I was just basically waiting for the verdict. Okay, but Corinne, it's so much more than this. It's the most layered. So I remember when I was on Prodigal Son, because we were talking murder all day, every day, this case kept coming up. It goes back 
years. And they first start with there's a boating act like boating accident, and one of the sons was driving and a girl drowned and died. And mm-hmm. it starts with that. And then as like investigators and people are looking into this accident, they start uncovering so much more. And then all of a sudden, the son who had been driving the boat and his mother are murdered, which is what Alex Murdoch was just convicted for yesterday. And then like he gets shot and then it looks and then they find like he was stealing money and then they find a potential murder that the other son may have done years back it is so layered and i'm not explaining this properly it honestly feels like the new but it is like it yeah it, it it is like if someone told me this story and was like oh i made up this story i'm gonna sell it as a show i'd be like oh that's not there's no way that's real like it's too fake but it's real yes i feel like that's where we've been moving in the direction of I don't want to say like entertainment and like film and television, but I feel like the past few years has unveiled stories like this, can, things that used to be conspiracies or just these wild crime stories that you're like, how how could that ever happen? Like Dr. Death even, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like, how could this surgeon kill and injure this many people for so long at these big hospitals, you know? Yeah. And now this is, I think this is what makes me more of a conspiracy theorist where I'm like willing to basically entertain anything and never like truly believe or truly not believe anything because I'm like, it's stuff like this. So much has happened in the past, right. even century where I'm just like, nothing really is unbelievable anymore to me. What's, is it like, the, is there a song that's like, nothing really matters? Queen? Bohemian yeah. Rhapsody? Yeah. Nothing really matters to me. me. Yeah. Mama. Ooh. Just the mornings. That's morning my karaoke songs. song. Is it? <laughs> that's a yeah. very impressive song for karaoke. Well, no, that's the point. It's no one can do it well unless you're an actual singer. Mm. And so it doesn't matter if you're bad because everybody's bad at singing it. And no one will not sing it when you sing it. It's the whole room That's will true. sing it's it. A good so you kind of get to be drowned out. It's a sing along. This have you seen the new? Did you watch Dexter at all? Oh, I love Dexter. Have you watched the new season? I did. This is kind of it's reminding me a little bit of that, like that Alex Murdoch case. Yeah, you know, there's the son who in the boating accident, and the, I wonder if they were inspired. Uh, yeah, yeah. And now this is you talking about the writers' room at Prodigal Son. It's making me wonder. So, okay, why did he do it? Do you know? I honestly... What his reason was? I th- or what he said? I don't know. And I, I really don't. I mean, why does anyone kill anyone? It's so messed up. Like, there's no... Even though in their minds they have reasons, like, there's... it. It's not... Yeah. Anyway, everyone knows what I'm trying to say. It's so early. But... Well, yeah, we're not pro-murder here. I no, think we all know it's that. very clear we are not <laughs> pro-murder. It's hard to understand. But basically, I think this family is so rich and cares so much about how they appear. And they have like police in their pocket. They have just all these – they just have so much influence in this town that I think they they just were like, one, I think they thought they could get away with it. And when they started realizing they couldn't get away with it – the dad, Alex Murdoch, was like trying to do things to cover it up. And so he wanted it to look like someone else killed his wife and son 
to like help with the other case that was going on. And then he, like the fact that he hired someone to shoot him. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he was intending, like if he wanted to die or if he wanted it to just, because I think he was shot in the head. Was he? I think so. Let me see. Maybe I do need to look into this case a bit more. Someone in a truck pulled up and shot him in the head. Oh, wow. So, I mean, he must have meant to die. Yeah, I don't know. I would assume. I don't know. Yeah. But then again, like, if you're hiring someone to do something like that, like, maybe he was like, oh, shoot me in the leg, and the guy just shot him in the head, you know? Yeah, like, you never know who, what people are going to do. Yeah. But cases like this frustrate me where it's like, if all of the layers can be unraveled and cops and FBI or whoever else is involved, they can launch such a huge investigation and put all of these puzzle pieces together and solve the case why are other cases that appear to be so much less complex never get solved? You know, there are so many kids and young adults and parents that just go missing without a trace or their car is left or their bodies found two miles away from home and there's no explanation. I mean, I think that's exactly why people like Sarah Turney have really taken to mainstream media podcasts, the news and whatnot to try to help with cases that are so much smaller and don't get attention because one, the Murdaws are like a huge prominent family. So of course, when something like that happens to a prominent family, it becomes, you know, big news, but yeah, it does make me feel grateful for Sarah Turney and other creators like that who are doing the push for ethical true crime and for bringing those other cases to light because it is infuriating. I'm sure for many people and all those families to be like, why not my family? Why can't I have people solve, like put their energy towards solving this for my family? Yeah. (sighs) It is. It's it's heartbreaking. And yeah. Yes. Well, sounds like I have a documentary to watch. It's yeah. I really, I really recommend it. And I think because speaking of, you know, um, ethical true crime, I think a lot of documentaries or shows, if we think of like Dahmer or Ted Bundy t- related uh, movies and shows, they end up glorifying the killer, which is really twisted mm-hmm. and like messed up. And in 10 years, we'll probably do a psychological experiment or study of what was going on with us as a human race. But I really think the documentary is like very investigative and yeah, tries to get down to the truth. And they were right. I in mean, the introspectively, I felt kind of frustrated with myself a few years ago when the Ted Bundy movie came out because remember it was so focused on his girlfriend and her experience because she was a victim like her and her child spent a lot of time with this horrible, horrible person. And so that whole movie was from her perspective. And I think that was it was kind of a moment for me to reflect too because I was like, oh, I didn't really love that movie. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be because I think I went in thinking it was going to be like, we're going to to learn of like more about the horrific events that he did. But but it's also one of the things where it's like, why do I want to, why am I trying to seek all of that out instead of, wh- why can't I be just as interested, if not more interested in the healing journey of someone who was close to that right. person? I mean, I think it's hard because we, you and I, and I think v- uh, other people who don't murder and don't have that psychological disorder, makeup, whatever it may be, are just so interested in how someone could be that way because it's so foreign from us. 
I killed a big spider in my closet like three months ago, and I've thought about that spider at least once a week. I feel so bad for it. Yeah, I don't. I'm really sorry, spider. I didn't mean to take your life. I know you were so scared. Yeah. I'm going to start crying. Oh, my God. I feel bad for the spider. (laughs) That's nice of you. I'm fine. But there's so many spiders in the world, so. I know, but he was so scared, and then I squashed it because I was scared. (laughs) I'm, like, unstable today. I'm like truly crying. Oh, are you okay? Uh, Clearly not. Like, what is going on? You're an empath. That's what's going on. I think it's that I cut out sugar and my my body doesn't know how to handle it. You're leaking. I'm fine. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Let's talk about. You teased us. Was it on our normal this episode? Is, or, no, I could you did it on, not for the life of me figure out where I talked about this. It was in Paranormal News on Patreon. You teased us about doing this a few weeks ago. Okay. Many episodes ago, you alluded to this case and said you would cover it one day. Okay, because I truly, I, I was racking my brain. I even searched on my computer this I'm not even going to say it yet. I was searching the title of this story. I could not find it anywhere. And I was like, did I dream this? Like, what is going on? But anyway. Patreon exclusive. That's where it laid. Thank you for completing me and helping me figure that out. Okay. I'm going to paint the picture for you. It's 1944. The world is engaged in the biggest and deadliest war in history. World War II. But this is not an episode about the war. But it is about a small town in North Dakota, a small town that, along with the rest of the U.S., was greatly impacted by the war. I guess the whole world. Life in the U.S. drastically changed during the Second World War. Men were drafted and sent overseas. The economy shifted. Women took on roles they'd previously been denied from. Electricians, welders. Actually, I highly recommend this book. I think it's called like Manhattan Beach. Let me look it up. And not the L.A. Manhattan Beach. It's called Manhattan Beach by Jennifer Egan. And it's about this. I mean, it's a long story and there's a lot of complexities in it. But it's about this young girl who grows up watching her dad kind of deal with certain things. But she gets involved with underwater like scuba diving to help fix the naval boats. Oh, and she that's cool. Wants she's trying to do it, but because she's a woman, like they don't really want her to do it, and she ends up it's it's really fascinating. And it's a very complex book, but loved it. Anyway, so women are taking on a lot of these jobs that were traditionally men's jobs. Food, gas, and clothing were rationed. And the government was so busy planning the D-Day invasion, but something was about to happen in this small town of North Dakota, something so strange that the FBI had to momentarily divert their attention from the war to this tiny town of Richerton, North Dakota. This is the story of the most baffling and mysterious fire cases in U.S. history. It is a story of a schoolhouse being possessed by the devil. It is the case of the jitterbug coal. <laughs> Whoa. And with a name. To pull away from the war for this. Yes. This is some serious poltergeist activity. Yes. And I love that it's called the jitterbug coal. Like it has such a friendly, do the jitterbug. Like it's, right. it's got like a, let's do a dance. And yet. Totally. It's a bit 
Feels very Veggie Tales, doesn't it? You know, like just some little cartoons singing a song. Mrs. Having Rachel, a good time. Everyone, does everyone know Mrs. Rachel? Oh yeah, I've been setting. I think a lot of time around. Knows. If you're on babies. TikTok, yeah, you know Mrs. Rachel and her song about boundaries. It is that all the yeah. kids are now taking advantage love, of and love. misusing to get what they want. <laughs> My favorite thing that I've been seeing on TikTok is parents talking their kids through affirmations. And my favorite affirmation mm-hmm. is no is a full sentence. Just having mm. like, in, like having a kid understand that, or even if they don't understand it, but repeat it over and over t- until as they grow up, they do understand it. I think that's incredible. I uh, wish I had that as a child. And you so many other the parent test. Yes, I need to do that. Well, we'll be better for our for our kids, yes. right? That's the that's the hope. We recognize all the things that didn't work for us. Yes. And we break the cycle when we have children and we try our darnest to be the best yes. person we could be for them. We put aside our wounded inner child and come and be present as our adult selves to raise children in a healthy environment. Okay. Regulate our emotions. Regulation. What is that? No, I'm kidding. I just went to trauma therapy to figure that out. I just cried about killing a spider <laughs> three months ago. So... <laughs> That's but that it's not about no, neither of us are there. It's not about us not <laughs> having emotions, Corinne. It's about allowing us to experience our emotions, but not to let them consume us or lead us. Yeah, because experiencing emotions is very important and healing. Okay, so this is the case of the jitterbug coal, and Corinne, it it's so different than this. But it, as I was doing the research and as I was writing it, I couldn't help but have a mental connection to the Jeff the mongoose story. <laughs> my name is Jeff. Okay. So it's so funny because in my, in my research, I wrote, I have no idea where I teased this. I feel like I mentioned it. I truly have no idea. Anyway, you helped me put the pieces together. So I'm here today to finally tell this tale. There is a school in North Dakota called Wild Plum School. It was a quaint one-room schoolhouse in Plum Creek, North Dakota, in the larger district of Richardson. This town was so small that the school accommodated just eight students, ranging from elementary school to high school age. So a total of eight students ranging between ages 5 to 18. And naturally, as I think probably a lot of us would have questions about this, I was like, Okay, so there's eight students in one schoolhouse. One teacher is teaching eight students between the ages of five and 18. Like, what's the lesson plan here? How do you give an education to, like, are you supposed to expect five-year-olds to understand the same thing that 18-year-olds are learning? Or are you expecting 18-year-olds to stay stimulated and continue to learn from five-year-old content? I just didn't right. understand. Maybe it's sort of like a rotating thing. It's like, okay, the next hour is is math and here's yes. 10 minutes of teaching the young kids and here's a worksheet while I teach work on the worksheet while I teach 10 minutes to the older kids and then they get a worksheet and then it is basically I do 10 like minutes that. of English and then wow. there's a worksheet. <laughs> okay, so you're a genius. I don't know, that seems exhausting. So you have the brain cell today. I'm sure that's not how it happened. No, that's pretty spot on I, or ish. I had to google it. I still have questions, but so the way it worked in most schoolhouses, I couldn't find specifically this one, but generally it said 
The youngest children sat in the front of small schoolhouses. The oldest would be in the back. And during the school day, the teacher would touch upon subjects like reading, writing, arithmetic, history, and geography, and, you know, rotate through those. The typical school day started at 9 a.m., went till 4 p.m., and had two 15-minute recess periods and a lunch. Older students would often be responsible for bringing in water and coal for the stove, while younger kids were given cleaning chores, like, you know, dusting out the chalkboard erasers. Oh! Yes. Yeah. And I believe there was a lot of worksheets. So the teacher would give certain worksheets to the younger kids and different ones to the older kids. I feel like that's the only way you could manage it, right? It's also just you have to how hard for the distract teacher. them. Like that teacher has to... The amount of organization. Yeah. I... No, I could never do that. That sounds like a very exhausting day. But you are very organized, so I think you could do that. Yes, but I'm also not great at regulating regulating my emotions if something that I've organized doesn't go to plan. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I don't think I could. I'm working on it. Yes, we're always works in progress. Flexibility, adaptability. Okay, so this is how the Wild Plum Schoolhouse was kind of operated. It was built like many other one-room schoolhouses. I couldn't stop thinking of, do you remember in Holes, like in the flashback story, how uh, the one schoolhouse that's in that movie? Mm-hmm. That's what I'm picturing. Yeah. Wait, can I interrupt you for a second Please. and tell you that my, remember I've told you about the kid, Sam, who I was friends with when I was in eighth grade and he passed away. Yeah. His family lives in a schoolhouse. So when I would go over to their house, we would go up into only like three people would be allowed at a time, like kids, uh, because of our weight would be allowed to go up into like the school bell steeple that area at a so time. But it was cool. so cool. They had such a great wow. house. I love that. The mm-hmm. theater that I did a lot of my plays in growing up was, I can't remember what it was called, something Playhouse, but it used to be a schoolhouse. Yeah. They're cool. They are very cool. So I'm glad they're not ripped down and just converted. I know. And especially because they're like really simple buildings, a lot of them. Like the Wild Mm -hmm. Plum Schoolhouse was a simple frame construction, had a stove slash chimney to be used for warming the building in colder months. And apparently, I don't know if this is true for the Wild Plum Schoolhouse, but a lot of schoolhouses, the teachers would like make food for the children in this stove during the day. So not only are they teaching all day, multiple ages, they're also providing food. I don't know if that was the case wow. in this one. But students spent their days sitting at a small wooden desk and their teacher was responsible for all day-to-day activities, lessons, and discipline. The teacher of Wild Plum School was 22-year-old Mrs. Pauline Rebel. She was said to be a pretty blonde and was married to a man named Tony Rebel. Pauline had been the teacher of Wild Plum School for about six or seven months at this time, so she was pretty familiar with the students and had her routine. She'd wake up each morning and turn on the radio, listen to news of the ongoing war, and she and her husband prepared for the day. And then she would head to Wild Plum Schoolhouse. March 28, 1944, started no differently. Pauline went about her routine as she did every day, and arrived to the school around 8 a.m. When she arrived, she was like, oh, it's a pretty warm day, so I don't need to start a fire in the stove. So she left the pail of coal untouched 
beside the stove. No heat, no fire, nothing's going on. Slowly, the students arrive, they file into their seats, and Pauline's like, hello, good morning, welcoming them with a warm and cheery smile. Hello. That's how she sounds. Hello. Hello there, students. Good morning. She's 22. She doesn't Young children. <laughs> That's like a making her 60-year-old. <laughs> I was just thinking like Mrs. Claus, right? Like real jolly. Yeah. Hello. Hello. Anyway, young 22 Mrs. Pauline Rebel. So she's like, okay, we got a lot to cover today, but we're going to start out with an arithmetic test. So she hands out all the tests and returns to her place at the front of the room. And the kids are just, you know, with their pencils, taking the test as the day usually goes. It's a normal day, nothing out of the ordinary until as the students are taking the test, something sparked and popped. The students screamed. Mrs. Pauline Rebel was startled, trying to find the source of the terrifying sounds. That's when she and the students saw it. Lumps of coal were popping out of the pail, flying around the room, striking the walls, bouncing all over the place. From that moment, chaos ensued. Coal was flying around the room violently. One piece hit Mrs. Pauline Rebel. Another one struck a student in the head. Heavy too. Like that would hurt. Yes. The lumps of coal were sparking and catching fire. And if you remember, Mrs. Rebel did not start a fire that day. The coal was not exposed to any heat, let alone to fire. And coal doesn't... And also the structure, it seems like it would easily go up in flames. Yes. Yes. And it's about to. Oh, no. And as you know, lumps of coal don't just ignite. Well, maybe you don't know. I don't know. We don't use coal in our homes. (laughs) It doesn't just ignite and light on fire by itself. And this entire pail is just combusting into flames the small wooden schoolhouse primed to serve as kindling the window blinds start smoldering and smoking they quickly charred and fell to the floor a bookcase caught fire a young girl in the classroom said that she saw a man outside the window in a hooded coat and oh and mrs rebel looks and the man's gone so she doesn't see him A dictionary that was sitting open on a desk spontaneously caught a blaze. Again, not exposed to any heat, let alone fire. The coal didn't even hit it. So it was just like, whoosh, fire. The objects in the classroom were catching fire out of thin air. It was like the room was possessed. As you can imagine, the classroom was in disarray. The students and Mrs. Rebel were astonished, horrified, and utterly shocked. What in the H-E double hockey sticks was going on? They evacuated the building and the Stark County Superintendent R.L. Swenson phoned for the fire marshal. My my one thing is like, how did, where was the superintendent? How did he know about the fire? I, I'm not sure. There was one article that I read that said he had heard the commotion. So he must have been in a building nearby. Hmm. Yeah. And I imagine the schoolhouse isn't just in the middle of a field in the middle of nowhere. Like if this is such a small town, I presume that the majority of their communal buildings and businesses and even probably many of their homes are right together in this little collective area. I do have a photo and I don't know. In the article that this photo was in, it kind of made it seem like 
this like it basically it suggested that this might be the wild plum school i imagine it doesn't exist anymore it looks like it's in the middle of nowhere how scary would it be if you went to a little schoolhouse like this but you had to walk a mile through dense woods very to grandmother's house we go yeah style it would be so spooky and yet so cool. Actually, I looked it up when I was looking up like how these old schoolhouses worked. It did say some students walked up to three miles to get to school. My gosh, that's like my dad growing up. He grew up pretty poor. Yeah. And he would run. I think he would run three miles to school. Wow. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Got to get there somehow. Yeah. Be so sweaty starting the day. Okay. So the building is evacuated. The fire marshal is on his way. And standing outside, Mrs. Ripple and her students watched as the mysterious sparks, pops, and flying objects within the schoolhouse continued. Even when the fire marshals arrived, the coal was still reacting to the mysterious forces, as it was called by the witnesses. But even before the fire officials arrived, a man named George Steiner, a Plum Creek rancher who had multiple children who attended the school, arrived. One article said that he had six kids that attended the school and i was like six out of eight of those kids were his that's children most of the school (laughs) who are the other two Uh, the kids cousins (laughs) (laughs) they had a monopoly at this wild plum school okay so george steiner had apparently overheard the commotion ran over to the school and a lot of odd things were continuing to happen inside and without waiting for the officials to arrive steiner who was a very practical rational-minded thinker grabbed one of the lumps of coal and was like, because when he arrived, the kids and Mrs. Rebel were like, something paranormal, supernatural, and strange is happening inside that school. And George is like... I mean, it feels like the Grim Reaper came for them too. The fact that one child looked out the window and there was a cloaked hooded figure man standing outside looking in. And, but George... Something came to collect them. Kill and collect. Yeah, it's... I don't know. And that's this is why it's such a mystery. But so George is like, no, stop. This is this is not paranormal. It's not supernatural. Like, I'm going to go look at this coal. There's going to be a reasonable or logical explanation. So he picks up a lump of coal and he's like, there's got to be some chemical reaction. And he said that the piece of coal that he picked up was covered with a white dust that smelled of talcum powder, which... I had to look up what that was, and it's used in or was used in a lot of cosmetic products and like baby powder. But I, I don't yeah, know it's, that it, it's cancerous. Yes, I was gonna say I don't know that. It Wasn't still there the whole is. lawsuit with Johnson and Johnson just a few years ago? Yeah, because breathing it can cause cancer. Yeah, and we were putting it on our armpits, yeah. on babies, yep. all over, all over. So Steiner sees this powder and believes that there was some chemical reaction occurring. But as he's holding the piece of coal in his hand, it truly leapt up and out of his hand. Like it flew out of his hand (gasps) suddenly, violently, and did not make any noise. So honestly, I'm so glad that it did because I feel like this would be just another example of something that other people don't believe actually happened because they would be able to outsiders could easily say oh well it's just one teacher and a bunch of kids and they're always in this one school all day long like maybe they had a group hallucination maybe they've just gone a bit mad or whatever but i'm glad that another person came in and witnessed the same thing who hadn't spent time 
in there before. Yes, but he still would not believe that it was supernatural. He was like, there's got to be. Yeah. What the heck? I know. There's just someone else with like a clear fishing line just yanking your chain. (laughs) Yeah. It's not a $10 bill on the sidewalk, my friend. No. This is paranormal activity. Did you ever do that? No, but my my brother did. And he would put on a ghillie suit. So he would completely camouflage himself. And then do like a dollar and... I mean, there wasn't like a fishing rod, but yeah, just pulled the dollar. I was on a walk yes, he did. with Freya recently, and she is like our luckiest friend. She once dialed the wrong number and won a cruise. I was sitting right next to her when that happened. So like it was a radio. Ugh, she's anyway. We, she caught she accidentally was caller 10 in like Miami and won a cruise. So wild. Yes. But we were walking and there was just a $5 bill on the ground. She's like, oh. I was like, wow. Yep. That's nice. I will say the one thing I'll say about Freya's luck, because she is our luckiest friend in life, brings a lot of very easy situations to her, but it's balanced out with her cars. No matter what car she gets, it's a lemon. Yeah, so, that's true. So I think that's where like, she can hardly drive. Her car's always the in the shop. But she's lucky in, in every other regard. Yes. So... The student and Mrs. Rebel, despite George Steiner being like, this is logical, like there's a chemical reaction, they're all like, no, something supernatural is at work here. Fire officials finally arrive and the event or the news of the event are spreading very, very quickly. Books, maps, furniture, and lumps of coal continue to mysteriously combust. The fire marshal and fire officials fought the fire and did the best to put it out. But still, we're all gobsmacked. Like, what was going on? There was no explanation. Despite what George Steiner had said, the event was absolutely befuddling. So it is because it it almost sounds like there was a firework lit underneath this thing of coal to make them fly out. But even after the coal was outside of the furnace and had already been laying dormant for some time, it still would continue to move again. Well, it was never in, in the books. furnace. It was never in the furnace, ever. Oh, I thought that fir- it was in there, but it just no, hadn't been lit. never. It was in a pail completely away from the furnace. And I mean, how do you explain the books too, right? Like it's it's everything that's flammable in there is suddenly moving and igniting on its yeah, own. Yeah, on its own. So... Yes, this event is absolutely befuddling. Everyone is like theorizing that the schoolhouse was possessed or bewitched or that there was a poltergeist at work. They just did not know. And so they were like, well, the schoolhouse was definitely bewitched. The school was then closed. The students and Mrs. Rebel were left horrified. It was so mind boggling that the town requested assistance and even the FBI got involved. Wow. Wow. This feels like a story that would happen in the 1600s, but it didn't. It happened, what, 80 years ago? 1944. So the FBI got involved. The event occurred on March 28, 1944. And what follows is information that was then gathered afterwards. So investigators and officials begin analyzing the coal from the schoolhouse. They were determined to get to the bottom of this. Similar to George Steiner, they were like, let's try to find every logical explanation. This is going on as they're also interviewing Mrs. Rebel and the students for their stories and trying to understand like what they all experienced in the event. 
So they're looking at the pieces of coal and they see what George Steiner had mentioned, a white powder that smelled like talcum. But in testing the substance, they found that it was just salt, salt that was commonly found on the coal in that area. So that did not explain the sudden combustion. They hired a chemist at the college at Dickinson and had him try to like recreate what could have caused this combustion. And the chemists tried to look into what kind of substance when left dry, left a residue and could burst into flame by itself. And the chemist was able to do so, but the chemical com- like composition that he created and the reaction that it caused was like impossible to have just existed on these lumps of coal. Okay. Can I give a wild conspiracy that Would love. doesn't make a ton of sense? Yes. Since we were in the war, do you think that there was someone who was trying to divert attention and cause more destruction in small towns in America and had basically set up this coal to to light this place on fire and that was the hooded figure, like a spy? But then they would have found this chemical reaction or like these chemicals on the coal and they didn't. True. And things also don't just jump and move on their own yeah. and strike people and books start going everywhere. Right. You're right. <laughs> You're right. And so they basically, they, I mean, it's interesting because I was about to say, like, they, they, they were like, the only possible way that this could have happened and been on the coal is if foul play was involved and someone purposefully sprayed the coal with it. But again, when studied, they did not find these substances on the coal. Hmm. So it continued to be a mystery. It was written about in newspapers. It spread across the country. And scientists, officials, and investigators all wanted to help solve it. So basically, it becomes like the big news. I even There's an article that I found from an old newspaper that I we will also add into the YouTube video of this. But... I just love what old newspapers look like. It's this bottom photo. Oh. And it says, Jitterbug Coal closes a school. Teacher and children report mysterious events. I mean, that is the article where when you come down to get ready for the day and your dad is sitting there at the counter with his coffee and he's reading the newspaper, that is the story that he's like, listen here, children, I have a tale to tell you. Yeah. Yes. That's the thing. That was like my grandpa's role. He, he still does that where he'll watch the news. He's up many, many hours before everybody else. And then when we get downstairs, the coffee is brewed and he tells us everything Aww. that happened on the news that's worth repeating. That's so sweet. Oh, I know. Okay. So yes, this story is spreading across the country. And keep in mind, World War II is going on. So like that news is far more important and prominent in the world, but this story just catches fire. No pun intended, but actually. (laughs) And scientists and officials and investigators are all like, okay, well, what can we do to figure this out? Because it was such a mystery that everyone wanted to solve it. So curator of minerals at the Academy of Natural Sciences, Samuel G. Gordon, all the way in Philadelphia, saw an explanation. He proposed that perhaps the jitterbug coal, as it was now being called, was no coal at all, that it had actually been mixed up with some fool's gold. And if I don't like I remember hearing about fool's gold, it was basically it looked like gold and people thought it was gold, but it wasn't gold. It's actually Mm -hmm. iron pyrites. It appears gold. So it has like that gold color. 
But there was no mention. I swear I remember. I don't know if that exists in New Hampshire, but I feel like I definitely either my dad would like drop some for me and my brother to find or I definitely would pick some up as a kid. No. I got to ask him. Now I need to do research. Is this, <laughs> it, was this a true dig for me or, or was it planted? <laughs> Solve your own mystery. Yeah. So while he proposes this, there was no mention of the coal at the Wild Plum schoolhouse looking like gold. And keep in mind, officials and investigators did a test of this coal and determined it was coal with salt on it. So people are just theorizing, hmm. and yet they don't have access to the coal that was in the incident. The Evening Star, all the way in Washington, D.C., suggested that if the coal is wet, the combustion may be accompanied by a bit of hopping around like it was seen in the schoolhouse. And mm-hmm. even so they also this this small town sent some of the coal to the FBI to get assistance. And even the FBI could find no plausible explanation. So again, these suggestions that were being offered were made by people who did not have contact with the coal from the schoolhouse and were not able to actually study, analyze the perpetrators. So the mystery continues. And it gets even more strange because not only was there no apparent answer for the spontaneous combustion, but officials then learned of a mysterious hooded man, death threats, the sighting of potential fairies, all that occurred at the schoolhouse in the months leading up to the incident. Sound confusing? What in the world is... What sort of portal opened up here? I know. I know. This is why it reminds me of... I mean, the Fae is there, so the Fae could have definitely been playing some pranks. Right. I mean, they they play... It's the classic, like, they're the Winston Bishop of prank players. They... It's pranks gone wrong, right? Like, that's the reputation of the Fae. Or gone right. They're tricksters, but it's like, it always causes harm. Right. Well, maybe that's their intention, because people have said that Fae are not friendly. Okay. So if this sounds confusing, good. (laughs) It is. So just you wait. This is why it reminds me of Jeff the Mongoose. Like, it's just this befuddling, strange... I mean, luckily, no one really was injured severely. No one died. So... It Mm -hmm. does have this fun element to it. Right. It could have been catastrophic, though. Yes, it could have been. So the officials after the incident speak to Mrs. Pauline Rebel and the students and any other witnesses. And keep in mind, they also gave all of the students lie detector tests as they were telling their, like, after they told their stories. Every single one of them passed. So they learned that one morning in mid-January, a couple months prior to the jitterbug explosions, Mrs. Pauline Rebel arrived to the schoolhouse to find a note pinned to the front door, and the note contained a threatening message. Mrs. Rebel was spooked, rightfully so, but things got worse, and in the months leading up to the explosion, she had received at least a dozen of these notes, one of which ordered Mrs. Rebel to leave or be shot. So she's getting these death threats. Just for no reason. Just no idea. Leave or be shot. I hate you. Get out of here. Yes. So there was some. Not I don't like you because there's no explanation. No explanation. So there was Hmm. in one of the articles I read, there was some like conjecture. So I think it's the theory that people of the town didn't really like her because she was this young, beautiful girl who just came into the town and was the teacher. I don't know. Seems petty. And also 
why would you put death threats all over? I don't know. I don't know. I also am not very clear on why or if this was reported before or not. And if it wasn't, Mm. why wasn't it? I don't know. So anyway, dozens of death threats. And in addition to these threats, some of the students reported seeing a masked man or hooded man around the schoolhouse prior to the explosion. So similar to the man that they saw on the day of the explosion. The students told officials that one afternoon, this man came to the school wearing a red bandana, masking his face, and banged on the door angrily several times. He was like yelling at Mrs. Rebel. They said that he was at least six feet tall. And when Mrs. Rebel went to the door to investigate, the man ran away. They also reported seeing this man on several other occasions, again, wearing a hood, lurking around the school. There was one or two afternoons occasions where the students were on the playground and saw the hooded man in the area. So also on the day of the explosion, the jitterbug coal incident, as I had said, one of the students saw the hooded man standing outside watching through the windows and yelled to Mrs. Rebel to look. But when Mrs. Rebel looked, he was gone. And then when they all ran outside, which was moments later, the man was, there was no sign of him. So if it is open field, how does a man just disappear? Yeah. In the picture that you showed, it doesn't appear that there's a tree line anywhere nearby. I mean, of course, we only saw a small area angle of, yeah. of where the house, where the schoolhouse is situated. But still, it does appear to be open enough that you would be able to see someone. Unless there's Especially a bunker. Especially someone who, true, or he's a time <gasps> Or a demon. Yeah. Yeah. Because also, I mean, what time of year was this? Do you know? March. March. Okay. So everything is dead. Everything is yellow and muted and whites and all of that. So if someone was a, a man dressed in a black hooded situation, you would be able to spot him very quickly against the landscape. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Well, I very much do think that this is paranormal. But what if it was the dad who came rushing in? What if he did a quick change? I mean, it's possible. But why would he want to do this to his six children? Unless it's like a Murdoch situation. Or maybe he just wanted to be the savior. Maybe he needed Mm -hmm. to show his his wife that he really could protect the family. And he he was (laughs) trying to prove something. And he was like, but then again, how do you explain the coal? How do you explain the books? How do you explain... There's too much that's unexplainable. Yes, agreed. Also, side note, just because I mentioned this hooded man possibly had a bunker. There, I was looking at Airbnb just for fun the other day. There, it, oh, whoa. Going through puberty over here. So excited. Um, Air bubbles are. Yeah. Finding your vocal cords. There is a bunker in Roswell, New Mexico that is on Airbnb. And it's like. a night and it's massive. And I, that is so badly, Corinne, we need to go. I know. I have such mixed feelings about this because one, I think it's a brilliant idea for an Airbnb because that's a unique stay. But two, unless you have another bunker that's just as equipped set up privately that you haven't advertised the location of somewhere, then I'd say, why the hell did you waste your, your survivor bunkle? Whoa, Jesus (laughs) I'm flustered. I can barely speak. Basically, now everyone knows there's a bunker there. So if something horrible happened and you need to find a bunker, I'm sure everyone in that in that area will venture there. 
Yeah, but I guess you don't know the address of it unless you book it. That's true. Yeah. Do you know what the outside looks like? I will send you the link. I think I saved it. Let me let me look real quick. We can also I don't I'm tempted to put the link in the YouTube description, but I also don't want people to know. I literally the Airbnb? Yeah. I created a wish list that says Corinne and I. <laughs> how, oh, how do I share this? Man. Okay, so it's a lot more uh, Your Airbnbs that you send me are so different than the ones I sent you. I sent you one where I was like, we could stay on an alpaca farm and you're like <laughs> No, it's not haunted enough. <laughs> I was like, we need more charm. What's more charming than alpacas? Like, fluffy animals. Let's go. Okay, I just sent it to you. It's massive. Oh my God, this is cool. Okay, so it's more expensive. It's th- Roswell, New Mexico. So exactly. that's going to be easy Aliens. for Oh my, what? This is huge. I know. This is real? I mean, you can't go into a lot of it because it's like an old missile silo. Oh, my God. It's a it's a real Cold War relic. Yeah. A missile silo. 251 reviews, 4.99 stars. Oh, wow. Uh, you know what I just thought of? What if all the – what if it's like a portal to hell or something? <laughs> like the creatures that could come out of the silo and then you're trapped underground and no one hears you scream and get ripped apart and – dragged into the underworld honestly i would be so okay with that are you sure you don't want to go to the alpaca farm (laughs) (laughs) we already booked a different one we have a chicken farm i know i know i know you and i are hanging out with animals still yes um okay okay so cool yes so let's go back to the jitterbug coal maybe there is a bunker that this man is disappearing in But the students are theorizing that an evil spirit had cursed the school and bewitched the coal. They believe that this spirit had it out for Mrs. Rebel, or perhaps it was a fairy of some kind, as the students claim they had seen small creatures around the building before. Ugh. This same- What type? What did they look like? I I don't know. I couldn't find more information on it. They also said that the man would catcall and yell from outside of the building for weeks. So again, I'm really curious if this information, like the man, the threatening notes were reported before the incident at all or what, mm-hmm. but the authorities did take the notes as evidence and Mrs. Ripple seemed more concerned with the threats than with solving the mystery of the coal. Yeah, I would too. Seems a little stalker-esque. Very, very. She said, she was quoted saying, I am bothered by the 15 notes threatening my life. I've only taught here seven months and I've never experienced anything like this. She's 22 years old. Oh, that's so scary. So the students continue to proclaim that the school was bewitched. But this town was a very, very Catholic town. So the parents of these kids were like not willing to accept this as a conclusion. And they were like, this incident is a hoax. In fact, the parents believe the students were responsible And they believe that the students wanted to mess with their teacher, Mrs. Rebel. So as this is all coming out in the news, the parents basically figure out a way to commission, not commission necessarily, but they speak to journalists and they say that we believe the students are responsible, that they had manipulated all of this and they had faked all of it and that they had caused this whole thing. So that comes out in the news. And then the students kind of figure out a way to get in the news again. I'm just imagining like a back and forth with this journalist. The same journalist is like going back and forth to the parents, to the students, parents, students. 
Anyway, the students, another article comes out and the students like continue to insist that they had nothing to do with it, that this was supernatural, that it happened out of nowhere, that there was no reasoning, no cause. They're given lie detector tests and pass. And then all of a sudden, four students go to the authorities and say that there was no masked or hooded man, that they made him up. They had faked the sound of him trying to kick down the door. They had made up the sounds of him catcalling and yelling from outside, which red flag number one, what were these children ventriloquists? Because they are sitting at their seats inside the schoolhouse and we're supposed to believe that they're making the sounds of the front door being banged and kicked in and a man mm-hmm. yelling at the front door while they're all sitting in their seats. I mean, this is this is OK. So I know Liz Sowers podcast Ghosts in the Burbs is she she writes it and then reenacts it. But it just reminds me of so many of the stories she's written about Faye where I'm just like, well, what if the children did encounter some fairies some pixies and basically were threatened Mm. and so that's why they went back on their word right because it's such a fey type thing to do to be buddy buddy and be like let's play these pranks together like how fun would this be let's do this and this and this and then it just gets too far and then what the fey are suggesting is a lot scarier to the kids and they're in danger their parents are in danger their families lives are threatened yeah. And so they'll say whatever. I almost believe that the parents force their hand. I mean, if the parents are so adamant and going to the newspapers saying that their kids saying that their kids are responsible and the kids are continuing to say no, it was something supernatural and then all of a sudden they confess, like I fully believe that the parents were like don't lie. Like, you know, it was real. Like you were messing with the teacher and then probably put this story in their minds and force them to confess to something that they didn't actually That's do. True. This whole thing though, it's so confusing because it's, there's too many influences on the kids and yet there's no real evidence that it's just like, what, how, what is it? It's it's a Jeff the Mongoose situation yeah. all over again. Yes. Except for It's like, okay, well, you can find some things that explain maybe 30% of what happened, right. but it still leaves a lot that hasn't been that can't be proved. Right. I also feel like with Jeff the Mongoose, the entire family that lived with Jeff were like, Yep, Jeff's real. Whereas this, because the parents weren't there and because the parents have specific beliefs, they were like, no, you kids admit that you did this, even though they didn't. So the kids confess. I love that the one guy who went in, who was the father, witnessed the coal moving on his hand and still didn't believe any of this. And it just reminds me a little bit of the stories that we'll read sometimes when people send in stories and they're like, I'm a skeptic, but here's my ghost story. And it's like, what? Like, how are you a skeptic? (laughs) They'll have a horrifying encounter and they'll be like, but I don't believe in ghosts. (laughs) (laughs) Then what was that? Yeah. What was it? Sometimes it's easier to not believe. Right. To choose to close your eyes. Yes. It is. Yes. Because you don't want to admit to not understanding something. It's scary. So these kids, they confess. They said that they had written the death threats. But they say, so one of the other reasons that I don't believe they actually did this is the kids said that they started the death threats like, I don't know, in, I think they said like February, which is actually not true because 
the first one that Mrs. Rebel got was mid-January. So their stories aren't lining up because it's Mm. made up. So on the day of the coal explosions, the students basically say that they used pointers and long rulers to tip over the coal bucket, and then they threw matches to cause the explosions. And once lit, they threw the pieces, these hot pieces of coal at the blinds, the bookshelf, and the dictionary. And so they were like, and then they tried to claim that it was supernatural to continue their prank and hoax. So let me just, okay. If this were to happen, if that were, if this were real, it's eight students in a tiny schoolhouse. Their teacher is in the front looking at all of them as they're taking their arithmetic test. And we're supposed to believe that the kids used pointers and rulers to knock over the coal are striking matches and Mrs. Rebel's not seeing any of that. And they're holding right. hot not like pieces she's... of coal and throwing them around the room. Makes no sense. None. And also, why didn't they give them a lie detector test again once they changed their story? Good question. Because I bet if you gave them the lie detector test the second time, it would show that they were lying. Their new story of igniting all of this stuff and throwing the hot coal. Yeah. Lies. Also, they're, if they're throwing hot coal, their hands would have burn marks Mm-hmm. Also, they'd be covered in soot yes. on their hands, too, right? And if they had lit a bunch of matches, there would be matches left behind in the schoolhouse, and there were no matches found. So what? The students gathered them all up off the floor before evacuating the building? It makes no None. sense. None. And also, going back to the fake sounds of the man, like, how? How could they? How could? How? Just How? were was it was it just the people in the schoolhouse that were experiencing things leading up to this event or did anyone else in town see i think it was things, experience just things? the people in the schoolhouse hmm. and also i wonder if the schoolhouse had been used before or if it was a new construction i don't know on some land that they never should have been on I mean, it's possible. I don't know how long the schoolhouse had been there, what the history of it is. Because anytime you look it up, the only thing that comes up about it is this incident. Mm -hmm. And honestly, okay, if these children did pull off this prank in the way that they did, then my goodness, they deserve to be hired by NASA or given a residency in Las Vegas. Or I don't know, maybe they are creatures of the night. Because that would be, I mean, that would be the scheme of the century. That's talent. And they got the FBI involved. My goodness. Right. And I feel like that should be even scarier. I'm wondering what the parents thinking was. Because I think if the way I'm thinking of it now is it would almost be better to just believe my kid that something wild happened here rather than to force my kid to say something that didn't actually happen, that feels realer to me and more believable to me, and then get them in trouble for misusing the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Like, couldn't they go to jail for that? They absolutely could. But the parents, I mean, going to, uh, you know, changing how our parents raised us for our children, (laughs) clearly these parents were very much just like so – strong-willed with their own opinion and their own beliefs that they needed their children to fit into that mold as well so yeah and they probably weren't thinking about like oh what's the repercussion gonna be wait can i just say i was talking to my mom about 
her and my dad's parenting style the other day after watching that show, uh-huh. the parent test. And one of the parenting styles on there is negotiation. And my parents weren't weren't that at all. But I felt like I was negotiation. So when they would set a rule for me, I'd be like, well, you could do this or you could do this and like find something that kind of fits for both of us. And I was like, yeah, me and Christian were probably more negotiation. And my mom goes, you were. Christian just said no. He wouldn't do anything he didn't want to do. <laughs> so, wow. I think my parents were kind of more like the traditional parenting style. And then we we met it. I was more negotiation. Christian was just straight up strict. He was like, nope, I, not me. Peace out. <laughs> I'm impressed. I was the, okay, I won't question authority, which has led to a lot that's, of problems how, in my life. <laughs> yeah. You got to watch the show. Okay. It's interesting. I would love to. Okay. To wrap up this story, I will say, if these students pulled this off, my goodness, forget about faking sick to get out of school, pull off a masterminded plan and shut down the school for good. Also, if they did this, they they were plotting and planning for months, months. And let's also remember that it's not just like this was a group of 12-year-olds. This was a very mixed group of ages. 5 to 18. So I was just going to say to have like a 5-year-old involved in this and to not have any of those younger kids crack or or tell their parents something or I just don't really find it super believable. No, me neither. And Mrs. Rebel was not convinced. Like a lot of people were perfectly happy to tie up this case and then a little bow and move on because that's easier. But Mrs. Pauline Rebel, who experienced it herself, was like, this was not the kids. And the parents were... And she also spent every day with these kids, too. So what was school like? Because if they were perfectly respectful and normal children up to this moment, then how does that make sense that they would just totally respect their teacher and make school an enjoyable, easy experience and then suddenly just put on this like month of torture? That doesn't make sense to me it'd be another thing if they were very unruly the whole time and then i'd be like okay that could make a little more sense but we don't really have insight into that and the fact that the teacher doesn't think that it was the kids suggests to me that they were generally pretty better behaved at school and uh, there is like some again i don't know whose narrative this is but there was some insistence that mrs rebel was a bit gullible and that the students wanted to see how gullible she was. But that's so mean-spirited. And even if even if you're gullible, like there's a difference between being gullible and being like blind. She's literally mm-hmm. standing in front of them within like feet, not even. Like that. she's so close to all of them. And they're doing all of this stuff. And we're supposed to believe that she didn't see these children throwing pieces of coal. Especially younger kids, right? Yeah. There's, there's not the... I don't know how to describe it, but basically like I can understand the the magician side of like a 16-year-old coming out, but a five-year-old, a seven-year-old, they're going to have that sleight of hand where you don't see them holding this coal or whatever. Like that, that makes no it makes sense. sense. Even like the sound of a match striking, all of those things yep. weren't experienced nope. by the teacher. Makes no sense. So to this day, Mrs. Pauline Rebel still believes that there was something supernatural, something else involved, that it was not the students. And even officials were like, I just don't, this doesn't really make sense to me, but they were all very happy to just, you know, move on. This has been solved. Let's move on. Is she alive today? 
She'd be I couldn't what, find 102. Okay, if she was 22 in 1944, how old should that be? She'd be 100 101. So she could be because it was 79 years ago. Wow, okay. You say you're not good at math, but just today, just today. I don't understand. If you ask me tomorrow, I won't be able to. That's do that. like really impressive. I won't be able to compute. Something's in the water. <laughs> Something's in the air. <laughs> It's ice. We're being poisoned. I I can do math, so clearly something's happening. <laughs> Something is wrong. It's a mystery. <laughs> the mystery of Corinne. Other people's health deteriorates, math. and I'm like suddenly a super genius <laughs> with arithmetic. <laughs> uh, Mrs. Mrs. Pauline Rebel, if she has passed, maybe just channeled herself through you. I think so. Yeah. She's like, I have a lesson plan for 29-year-olds, too, and it's basic addiction. Uh, addiction. Addiction. Oh, my God. Addition. Jesus. It's gone. She's left my body. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that is the story of the Jitterbug Cole case. Wow. The mystery that just so really confounded the world. Well, more specifically, the country. But, yeah, that's the uh, mystery. I mean, that's even if it were a prank, which I definitely don't believe that it is, it is so incredibly elaborate and believable to have tricked the FBI and to take resources away from World War II to this tiny town to understand what forces are juggling coal. Yeah. Albie, uh, to be fair, I don't think it really took away that many resources. I think the FBI like maybe ran like, I'm imagining, put it in a little like test tube spun it around in the thing and then they were like nope i don't know what it is yeah which i guess it makes sense too like at that time being in a war and not knowing who could be in our own country that is perpetrating different acts against our country or the people you know like i can understand them taking the time to actually see what the coal was made up right. of just in case there was any nefarious chemical involved yep. that would sound the alarm bells from inside of america yeah. But geez, that is that is a wild story. I know. I was like so excited when I first heard about it. I feel like there are some times where we're looking for where I'm looking for stories and I'm like, oh, like how do I find another good story? We've just told so many. We have how many episodes? Like 450. So and I'm continuously surprised by how many stories there are. Right. And some of them are just so, I mean, people always ask, like, do you think you'll run out of ghost stories? And the answer is no, absolutely never. not. Definitely not. Yeah. But it's just, it is interesting. It's like something like this, like how in all of the years of research did this not come up? How have we not heard of that? Because it's meant to happen I'm so glad it did now. now. It's all part of the plan. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. Case of the jitterbug, Cole. Do the jitterbug. Well, so some people are going to ask interesting questions when they enter the astral plane after death and to to ask about all of these true crime cases that are are not solved but i think i'm going to ask about jeff the mongoose and the jitterbug coal yeah i need answers to these i would love to meet jeff the mongoose would love what an interesting thing <laughs> i don't even know what to call him possessed mongoose creature i have a story to read us so I really didn't want to know what the case of the jitterbug coal was. I wanted to be super surprised when you told uh -huh. me. But I also wanted to have something somewhat related to this tale as a listener story. So I Googled case of the jitterbug coal and I read one sentence that came up on Google and I said, great, I'll stick to that. <laughs> what was the and sentence? It because 
It was something about pixies. Like, did pixies light this yeah. school on fire? And I was like, great, searching Faye <laughs> in our inbox. <laughs> so that is what I have for us. Okay. Hey, ghost girls. So when I was little, about eight, we lived on a farm close to the woods. We basically lived in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> but I firmly believe that we were not all alone. Personally, I believe there was a portal in the house somewhere. Not only did we have hauntings, but we had an abundance of fae around our house. The story. Being a eight to nine-year-old curious kid, I would run around the farmhouse. But sometimes, right in the morning, when we went to feed the chickens at around 6 a.m., I woke up and I saw something in the garden. At first, it looked something like an insect, but then my eyes adjusted a little more and I got chills. It kind of had limbs like a human, but it was blurry because it was moving so fast. That was the only time I saw something like the Fae personally, but they tended to play pranks on me and pranks I knew my brothers didn't do. Whoa. How do I know? It happened to my brothers too. It would start with small things pulling my embroidery out that I had worked really hard on, which made me super angry, (laughs) stealing my socks just to find them in different places, having our dead plants somehow come back to life the next day. I feel like that's a great, that's a good prank. I want that to happen to my Yeah. When I was little, I would always do stitching and embroidery. And when I woke up and I would find my stitching messed up or the stitches pulled up, I knew it was the fae. If my brothers did it, I would kill them. I would poke out their (laughs) eyeballs with the needles. Poke, poke, boom. No more eyeballs. (laughs) So basically, that's my story. Thanks for reading. (laughs) Poke, poke, no more eyeballs. (laughs) Channeling that that seven-year-old anger. Oh, my gosh. My brothers would never. They know what I would do to them. Wow. And this is unsigned, so... Okay. The person who sent this to us, there was definitely something going on in that farmhouse. I mean, I feel like the fact that they saw this little sprite-like figure with a human body, it reminds me of the story where that person vacuumed up a bunch of fae, these little tiny fairies. And the way that they're describing seeing this little fairy, it does – it's like a little pixie. It does feel like that, doesn't it? And it's it's playful but trickstery – I'm curious what Mm -hmm. our listeners' brothers experienced. Right. I know. They'll have to follow up and tell us. Yeah. Because it sounds like all of the kids experienced something. I'm fascinated. Fae are so – such curious creatures. Like, we should do a full fairy episode. I know. It's been on the list for so long. But it's such a big one to tackle because there's so many subsets I also, of Faye. I feel like the one story that I often found, I think it's even in our Excel, is a big hoax. Like it was a whole mm. long, really thought out story. And it's so fascinating. But then like at the end of it, you learn that it's not real. Right. Is it the photos when the the girls were photographing fairies down by the river? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it made such a good movie. I know. I loved that movie growing up. I never saw the movie, but... I think it was called A Fairy Tale. Oh. That is what it was called. It came out in the 90s. Clever. Yep. Um, Yeah. Well, if you have any fairy, fae stories, please email them to us. Or if you know of any really good ones that we could research... That's always helpful too. It actually, in general, if you have a story that you've heard and read about the paranormal, supernatural, cryptids, whatever it is that you would love for us to research and tell on the podcast, we are always 
down for your suggestions always oh yeah also on patreon if you join our patreon at any tier you will have access to basically a sneak peek of our episode where we'll reveal generally what our topic is is about and that's also a great place to comment suggestions because we look there frequently and take them we do also i think this episode comes out right before yes this thursday no this wednesday march 15th oh is World Contact Day. It is the day that everyone should try to attempt to communicate with aliens, which started all the way back in 1953. So Corinne and I are doing a Patreon live stream for our Only Phantoms and Above, where we are going to try to make contact. I'm scared. (laughs) I'm scared. I hope they just focus on Sabrina and beam her up. (laughs) If anything, it's more of just like... The things that are recommended are to do meditations and telepathically communicate mm-hmm. and say, sup, aliens, it's me saying hello, popping in. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Maybe I'll lead you through a meditation. Oh. I'll look up a script and I'll I'll put you, you can lay down on a couch and we'll do a little hypnosis. I think that's a great idea. I love it. Yeah. Because then I can be there as a witness. <laughs> and all of you could too. So join us. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. All right. Email us your ghost stories, your paranormal stories, everything to two girls, one ghost podcast at gmail.com. Join us on Patreon. Get lost in the triangle. It's a pyramid scheme. So tell all your friends, all your family, get up to the top of the pyramid scheme. Get above Sven. If that's like, that would be the accomplishment. Mm-hmm. That truly would. Check out our show notes. Find other ways to support us and where to follow us on social media. And shout out to our amazing editing team over at Upfire Digital. Thank you. Thank you, especially this one because (laughs) it was early. You guys will hear 10 minutes of audio, but it took us 30 minutes in the beginning to spit out those words. To speak. Uh, We love you all. And we will see you you on on the the other other side. side. You're chatty today, Leigh.